morning, Rev Divers. We are super excited today to introduce you to Doral Jacobson. So we have spoken with her many times before. We've presented with her. We've moderated with her. Um, we are such huge fans of her knowledge base and just her passion for giving back to the industry. So Doral is the founding partner at Prosper Beyond. She's also their CEO, and she is the co-author of MGMA's Transitioning to Alternative Payment Models Guidebook, which is huge and selling like hotcakes. And I love hotcakes. So Doral, welcome to the show. Thank you welcome, so much. Welcome, Doral. Thank you. I am so uh, honored <laughs> to be here with you today. Um, I'm actually in Asheville, North Carolina. Today is a little overcast, um, but yeah. Happy to be here and a pleasure talking with both of you. Thanks. Oh, thank you. We are so excited yes. to have you. And it's a little overcast here too. So maybe we're just all under the same cloud system. Yeah. <laughs> right. Kind of poetic, right? right. <laughs> so, Doral, we have had the pleasure of being on stage or virtual stage together many times. We're yeah. looking forward, looking so forward to meeting you in person in San Diego and being on stage together for the first time in person, right? I know. <laughs> Yay. It's so exciting. And we know where our passion comes from in terms of RevCycle, but there's not many of us out there. So we have to ask everyone we know that's passionate about it. Where does that passion come from? Oh, I love this question. I love this question. So I have kind of a two-pronged answer. Um, so I really developed a passion for RevCycle during my first job out of college. I actually majored in health administration and got right into a job at a medical practice in um, Weston, Florida called Pediatrics Medical Group. And I answered the phone mm -hmm. and uh, it was, and then they, they um, were throwing their EOBs in the trash can. No. And they were giant. There were these giant EOBs, <laughs> all these codes and no one really knew what any of these codes meant. And they were just throwing them in the trash can. So a couple of us decided maybe we'll pick them out and figure out um, what these codes mean. And you both know exactly what happens when you do that. And so it was so incredible, the growth in the revenue when we started figuring out, oh, we need to resubmit this claim. We need to add this modifier. We didn't have the diagnosis code correct. I mean, all of these things that are fixable, we started to fix. And then it grew and grew and grew and grew. And it was just so exciting and inspiring to me to be um, you know, witness that and um, help these physicians be sustainable. So that's where I was like, I was, I was, um, uh, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine um, what else I was going to learn and discover when working in um, the revenue cycle. So that really ignited my passion. And then, so I did that for a long time. I was a biller and uh, managed a claim shop and all of these things. And then I developed a passion for, um, payer contracting in a little bit of a different way. Um, so I have two children and my daughter, who is now 21, when she was born, it was, uh, is, I'm, she might've been about eight months old, maybe nine months old. And um, I thought that her eyes looked a little crossed. So I brought her to the pediatrician and I'm like, this just does not look right to me. And the pediatrician was like, oh, no, she's fine. All babies' eyes are a little crossed. But you know that mama feeling that you have? And you're like, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. There is something more here. So yeah. like a couple months later, I bring her back. And, um, and she said, well, I'll give you a referral to the ophthalmologist. And so we took her in. And the ophthalmologist examined her and said, she's going to need four surgeries, 
We'll wait till she's a year to do the first one. Oh, wow. we'll unattach her eye muscles and then reattach them and then she'll grow and we'll need to do it again when she's four. And then we'll need to repeat the surgery when she's eight. And then we'll need to do one more when she's 12 because as she's growing, we'll need to do all these things. Horror, I'm horrified about this. So my husband and I came home and said, oh my gosh, let's put our research hats on. So we did. Um, and we found that vision therapy, which I'm not even kidding. It's a ball on a thread and you do these exercises to strengthen the eye muscle um, mm. with the vision therapist guiding us, of course. And they, she did, she did therapy for like a year, um, you know, with $20 copays and she is 21 now and her she, she has no lazy eye, but it didn't require any surgery. It didn't require that kind of intervention. So it really got me thinking about why do we behave this way? Yeah. And furthermore, my passion is to help physicians and providers tell their value story in a different way. I mean, we're going to keep getting what we get if we just do what we've always done. So how do we inspire payers to reward us for um, not doing a lot of surgery and recommending someone go have vision therapy. I mean, our fixed costs remain the same. So yeah. I love helping folks tell their value story so that we get better outcomes. Um, and so that was, that's it. I love that. I love helping uh -huh. clinicians tell their story and that's very powerful to me. I mean, that, that was uh, yeah. So that's where I get my passion. So you are an investigator and a storyteller. Yes. <laughs> yes. And a powerful motivator. Oh <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you're that mama bear, like, like many of us who are in healthcare, who are not going to just back down. We're going to, we're going to investigate. We're going to figure it out. I know there's plenty of times when I used to take my kids when they were that age to the doctor, I was coding. I was coding their visits. I was like, okay, they probably right. did, a, you know, a level, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Being on the inside is so different. Yep. Yeah. I know. I feel like a secret shopper. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Doro, you're an expert in physician contracting and with COVID and all of the changes that are happening in the industry, there's just so much to take into consideration for your payer contracts with enrollment, with making sure that your terms and conditions are up to date with fee schedules. You know, when you think about the primary challenges that private practices are facing today, what are, what are some things that come top of mind for you? Pam, that's a great question. Um, and I have a here are two things that we are always observing with our clientele, and they're going to not be surprises to anyone in the audience, but it's really a function of time. Practice administrators and executives have very limited time, and there's just not enough hours in the day to focus on payer contracting. And then also, payers don't make it easy. So uh, it's, it's kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy and why we have folks that don't rigorously negotiate their agreements. Um, and the third thing I'd say is that a lot of times I find folks are telling the wrong story. So they contact a payer, they ask a payer for an increase, their rationale is, well, we haven't had an increase in a while, and then nothing ever happens. So we don't have enough time in the day, um, payers don't make it easy, and then we're, we're not always telling the best story about our practice. So those, those are some of the primary roadblocks that I see. 
totally understandable, all of them. And, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of your, your statement, the value proposition for me, I think, is the, the key part of negotiating with the payer. And you just kind of hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of us feel that, okay, well, we haven't been given an, an increase in years. That's really how we approach that type of conversation with the payer. When right. you are doing a, a value proposition, like what are some of the, what's some of the feedback that you want to get from providers as they're kind of, you know, using your expertise to tell their story? Yes, thank you. That's a, that's a great question. Um, what we really are looking for, uh, it's kind of the quadruple aim is the way that we think about it. So the first question I ask providers, and, they, and it's great, I love exploring these answers, is how do you bend the cost curve? You know, what are you doing to do that? And a lot of times they're, they just don't, they're not aware of what they're doing. So we have to peel back the onion, you know, do you offer extended hours. Um, you know, how, what's your readmission rate look like? Like, what are these markers? And then they're like, oh, wow. Like they're just gaining more confidence by the minute when they realize that they are killing it. Um, so bending the cost curve is one, like what are the ways that you're doing that? And the other is, how are you doing from a quality perspective? Um, thanks to the quality payment program, a lot of us have very quantifiable data regarding how we are performing in compared to peer groups. So we often look at that because that's work that we're doing to um, improve quality. Patient satisfaction is the other piece. You know, a lot of practices have those in place and um, really doing a good job. Well, that's really important to a payer. I mean, that's part of their HEDIS measure. So helping them see, oh boy, that plays a role in here too. And then administrative burden is the other piece. You know, so really, really kind of thinking about how, um, you know, how they're uh, working with the payer and as they're negotiating agreements, not sabotaging themselves by signing up for something that's administratively burdensome and also capitalizing on all the good work that they're doing today that might be in a different program, but it cascades. You know, as clinicians, we aren't treating Cigna patient one way, Medicare patient another. So why are we not cascading the benefit to all of these payers and then talking about that in our negotiations? So we, we really look at it through all of those lenses to help them tell their story. Wow, and I have to imagine that just having worked in practice and managed practices and consulting, um, you know, Kem and I both have for a very long time. We know that for most organizations, this is brand new information. I mean, you're walking in and it's like they are getting prescription glasses for the first time. I have to imagine that when you walk in, you're getting a lot of that feedback. Are you going to cover some of this in your sessions in October? I mean, we're pretty excited oh, yes. talking about, but what is on tap for that, for that MGMA conference in October? Yes, I am so excited about this conference. Um, this is a talk I haven't given before to this audience, and I'm super excited about it. It's about payer contracting key performance indicators. So a lot of times I'm talking about how do you do this? What's the recipe? What do you say? What do you not say? And this is more, how do you know how you're doing? And um, the fun thing about this is it's, it's interactive. So I'm having everyone in the audience do to an, an exercise where have you guys heard of a six word story the six word story 
If you could no. explain it for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, there's a very famous one by, or, and the whole thing is about being concise and brief. So it's about telling a story in six words. So Ernest Hemingway told a story, was challenged to do this and told a story in six words. And it was for sale, baby shoes, never worn. So it's like really putting together um, a lot. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going to be challenging folks to think about what is your current payer contracting story today? Six words. That's all you get. And then we're going to walk through this KPI exercise, think about what this means so you can go back and take those back and apply them to your practice. And then we'll do the exercise again at the end about what do you want your future payer contracting strategy to look like? Um, I know for me, it's like a bullet word, right? I mean, it's like, how, how can I be really concise and brief and internalize that and then communicate that to others in the organization. So this is new, haven't done this before, but what the heck, let's see if we can um, shrink it down and maybe that'll make it more um, accessible to everyone within the organization. So that's what we're going to do. You know, there's a great quote. It's been attributed to lots of different individuals, uh, Pascal, Twain, whatever, but uh, the basic quote is, if I'd had more time, I would have written a shorter letter. Yes. (laughs) And I, yes. I, I, I've always loved that and lived by that, especially in terms of sending letters back to payers. Um, they're not going to read. They're not going to read a, a whole big manuscript about your practice. You got to drill into those KPIs. What a great session! I'm super excited about that. You will probably see Kim and I in the audience. I would sure. love to. I'm so excited <laughs> about it too. Yeah, sure. and we'll share the stories too. I mean, I'll, I'm hoping that folks will share their stories because I, I always learn from everybody in the audience. Yeah. And, you know, you have been such a phenomenal expert in this area of physician contracting and you have been, you know, I've, I've definitely looked up to your skills and I think a lot of people in healthcare who understand the importance of physician contracting definitely look to you for advice. Um, When you think about the, the provider contracting process, um, especially with all of the challenges that that healthcare organizations are facing right now. They have a lot of priorities that are competing for their time um, and for their efforts. What advice would you give them? Um, so I think the first step really is to just prioritize it. I, I liken payer contracting to hypertension. It's kind of the silent killer. You know, our revenue cycle keeps coming along, payers are not knocking on our door. It just, it continues along this path where we're not getting increases automatically. And then all of a sudden we realize that we, um, you know, we're in a nosedive of some sort and then payer contracting is usually one of the culprits. So to me, it's actually just prioritizing it. So I think about in a practice setting, you know, we're always talking about comp, physician bonuses. We should be in parallel talking about what are, what's happening with our payers. Where are those dollars coming from? They're coming from the payers. So how can we capitalize that and make it part of our strategy? It should go right along with when we're assessing how we're going to be handing out increases. So it's just because it has to become the fabric of the organization. And um, I do talk about this a little in the session, but some of the markers for me in an organization when we're assessing them are, is this even on your calendar? 
is this, is this on, like when we get done, I want it to be on their radar or else it's a one and done. And it's um, one of these things that it's just gotta become part of the fabric of the institution. So prioritizing it and realizing it's the practice paycheck and also just acknowledging that payers are, um, do not come with increases without us knocking at the door, generally speaking. So the onus is on us. And um, it's unfortunate that that's the case, but it certainly is so. And also I, I'll say one last thing is that clients that ask, um, you get in the budget with the payer, you know, we've gotta be raising our hands. And one of the most difficult things for me to battle, and I, I have this discussion 10 times a day across the country is payers will say, well, every OBGYN is accepting this rate. So we have, in order for all of us to float, we have all got to get out there and be knocking this out because that, that regardless if that's true or not, I mean, I, you know, we know it's just difficult. We don't have enough time in the day. And the more folks that go and negotiate their contracts, the better it is for all of us. Because at the end of the day, we need people to take care of us. And that's only sustainable if there's enough revenue to make that happen. Laurel, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful, wonderful experience with you. Taya and I really, really appreciate you joining us today. And I know that our Rev Divers were super excited to see you. We look forward to seeing you in San Diego. Yes, thank you. I can't <laughs> wait to be at your sessions and meet you amazing ladies in person. And I'm so honored um, that you were um, had me on the show today. And I thank you so much. I Look forward to uh, seeing you soon. So do we. Rev Divers, thanks a lot for joining. See you next time. Thanks. Bye.